Hey, I'm Maggie, and you're listening to the Planetarian Life Podcast. Each week, we meet here to share our passion for plant-forward cooking, our concerns about climate change and the earth, and discuss how together we can align our daily actions with our hopes for the future. Being a planetarian is fun, delicious, and soul-satisfying, and we're here to keep you inspired. And that is most certainly true today, because today we have Leanne Brown with us. She is uh, a cooking, te- you teach cooking classes, but more importantly, you're the best-selling author of Good and Cheap, which was downloaded 15 million, like almost like accidentally 15 million times. It started from your master's thesis, a book about um, how to cook, eat well, uh, only spending about $4 a day. And then uh, she went on to write Good Enough, um, which is another beautiful book. And the reason that we're here talking today is because Leanne has a very similar approach to cooking that we have with our capsule kitchen. Hers is called embodied cooking or intuitive cooking. And what we, what we, what we both know <laughs> is that once you really learn how to cook, by heart. It's a complete game changer, not only in your ability to feed and nourish yourself and your family and the people that you love, um, but it also helps you to learn to love cooking. And I think there's so many people that don't, that don't love cooking. And I think part of it is because there's just so many rules and barriers and um, things that they don't understand and the mess. So we're going to talk about that today, but I first want to start by asking you, Leanne, what is your earliest cooking memory? Ooh. My earliest one. Well, I mean, I have so many memories of sitting either on the floor of the kitchen and dolloping like muffin goop into the yeah. little tins and like getting it on the edges. <laughs> yes. And yes. then also sitting on the counter and mixing butter and sugar together and just loving that transformation of this like mushy squishy thing and this like scratchy thing and the way they would come together yeah. <laughs> that's such a great description like a completely different substance yeah and it smelled so amazing and it was such hard work actually yeah it was like so proud when it would be like this whole new substance it felt so magical and I absolutely loved it I was not planning to share my earliest cooking memory, um, but it sort of ties in with yours, which is that um, it's very famous, famous lore in our family. Um, we call it the cooking lesson in the driveway. My mom was trying to get ready for a, a big dinner party. And of course we wanted to help. And so she basically like set out a whole bunch of baking type ingredients and like we put them in a wagon and took them out to the driveway. We just had to like be out of the kitchen and, uh, we made cookies in the driveway and then my mom baked them and actually served them. They were obviously inedible, but it was a very (laughs) fun, magical. And it's like, of course, as a, as a parent now looking back, I was like, mom was just trying to get us the hell out of the kitchen so she could get on with what she needed to get on with. But it ended up being one of the best sort of cooking memories of my life. It was like, I think they were like 40% sprinkles. (laughs) 
So I um, love that. It sounds like it's both great parenting, like seeing this is something that is going to engage you and make you feel connected to what I'm doing. Yeah. And also it gets me what I need. Exactly. But I know it's exactly a win-win. What I mean, it's like that age where you really, there's that age where things really are magical and you believed you were making the cookies, right? Like this yes. is really happening and this is all incredible and I feel so powerful and such yes. An exciting. And then time. she served them and she served yeah, them. Like, of course she did. You probably made you edible muffins. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the ones so, that I'm remembering were edible, I believe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did you, cause I know that, you know, from our conversations and from reading about good and cheap that, um, you did not, I, from what I understand, at least intend to pursue a culinary career. Is that the case? Well, yeah, sort of. So I, Good and Cheap was my master's thesis for um, my master's in food studies, which is sort of this degree that's much more um, like policy sort of oriented, writing right. oriented. So it was less on the like actual in the kitchen sort of practical side, but that was always something that um, I've taken to and loved. And I just never, I didn't, I knew I didn't want to work in a restaurant. I like, I just saw that career as like too, it sort of felt like going to Hollywood to try to become a movie star. I was like, I can't do yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so I'll sort of pursue it in these other ways. Um, but I've always wanted to, I've always deeply wanted to share um, the power that I believe there is in cooking, like the technique of it. I've really actually never been interested in the sort of serving, like I love having people over. I love serving people food, don't get me wrong. But there's something so much more meaningful to me about showing a person how to make the thing and being able to say like, oh, it's so simple to do this. Like you can have this experience yourself. Mm -hmm. There's something about that that feels like it's um, giving someone the ability to like liberate themselves. And at any time, like I just make it for you or instruct you or like tell you exactly what to do. I feel like I'm robbing you of an opportunity to like grow into a version of yourself that like can do more. There's something really important about that to me. So then when um, Good and Cheap ended up sort of becoming this viral phenomenon, I was so thrilled to sort of be able to start in this career. It was something that I just never imagined for myself. Um, so that's another, I don't know, that's been a big learning for me that it's, I think, important to let yourself try even the things that you think are like too big and wild to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so how did you come? I know, you know, we came to the capsule kitchen, um, via my mom's best-selling cookbook, uh, how to cook without a book. And, uh, where she taught people to cook without recipes, that there was sort of like a loose framework from which, from which you could cook, you know, how to make, um, pasta dishes or soups or pan sauces for chicken breasts. Like it's all, she created a framework from which people could begin to cook intuitively to your embodied cooking. And then we, we took that and, um, put a little bit more structure to it and made it made it with plant forward cooking. Um, so that's how we came to our version of intuitive cooking. But I wonder about your journey to that place. Ooh, yeah. Well, I think it's always been something that I do naturally and with good and cheap, I, I was sort of in the process of discovering, I mean, when I was, 
getting my master's degree, I was around all these other people who were very food oriented, but I discovered <laughs> when I started putting together menus and things like that, that I sort of had this ability to make food inexpensive in these ways that other people didn't. I didn't really know that this was like unusual to be honest. <laughs> I was yeah. like expecting everyone to sort of, and then suddenly I was like, Oh, this is something that I know how to do that maybe isn't actually like a normal thing that everyone knows how to do. And so I began to try to sort of backwards figure out like, how do I share this sort of thing that is sort of like an innate easeful thing for me um, into something that I can offer to others. And that's sort of what, um, good and cheap became, it was like, it's a bunch of recipes, but it's also, it's very much full of information and advice because the cost of things, of course, changes with time. It changes with like location with so many things. Yes. And so I can't really just say this will cost X amount, go for it. It's not that simple. It's really something you have to begin to understand and figure out like how to make, uh, make substitutions have they like based on the time of year, um, yeah. based on what you have around, based on your affinity, based on so totally. many things. Um, and I think that feels super overwhelming to a lot of people and yeah. I get it. Like at first it's really scary, but it's actually just limitless, beautiful opportunity. And I think, so what I tried to do is sort of express, and it's always all my recipes do this. It's like, I really could care less if you make a recipe the way that I make it. I am not, this is not a restaurant. You do not need to make it the Leanne Brown way. Doesn't matter at all. The point is for you to make it the way that really works for you in your body. And so I've always tried <clears throat> just to express, here are the all the substitutions you can make. Here are the changes you can make. If you don't have this, you can use this. Anything right. that will empower a person to just keep going. Because I believe that cooking is kind of a magical, powerful process. And I, I think that it really makes its own case. It sort of sells itself. And what we really have to do sort of as teachers, as writers, as cheerleaders of cooking is just get people to begin to start trying and then encourage through the process. Because I think if you allow the process to happen enough times, you begin to see just how powerful it really is. If you can bring all of your awareness to it. And so after good and cheap, you know, it was many years and I began to be, and I was meeting so many different people and I was learning so much about what people struggle with in the kitchen. And so much of it is sort of emotional or mental sort of health related. It's a lot of people don't cook because it's hard to take care in our culture. We don't take care of ourselves the way we take care of others. It's not really something that's encouraged. I mean, it's getting so much better, but yeah. at the same time, we don't encourage our, to take care of ourselves. And so, so many people just feel like they're bad at it and it, and it makes them actually feel bad when they bring that feeling of I'm not good into the right. whole experience and they're carrying that with them as they're cooking. And that's where their mind is the whole time. And really, this is what we know. You know, you are what you think. Like that is right. what we are. We create our world. And so when you're thinking the whole time, God, I'm such a terrible cook. Oh, they're going to hate this. Oh, I don't know if I can, you know, constantly checking and rechecking the recipe, all these, you know, worrying about, or just thinking about stressful things that happen in the day, whatever it is. If you're not yeah. present with the act of cooking, you will probably not have a great experience. But 
So what I try to teach in my embodied cooking classes and in general is to be truly right there. And so it incorporates sort of meditative processes and some breathing techniques to really bring us into the moment because, you know, like you, when you were little making those cookies in the driveway and when I was squishing the butter and the sugar together, it is a pleasure in itself to do these things. And it is for everyone. I don't care who you are. We are built this way. We are human beings. It is such a cool thing that we take delight in our sensory experience. There's feel, there's smell, there's taste, there's the beautiful sights that we're seeing. And there's these wonderful um, sounds. All of this is happening in this incredible array when we are cooking and it naturally soothes and calms the nervous system. And Mm -hmm. a light at the same time lights us up in this creative process. And that will happen if you can just get right there. I, I, and I think that really happens more when you're cooking intuitively than when you're strictly following a recipe to the T. I mean, there's still magic in that to be sure, but I have said it once and I'll say it a thousand more times in my life. The meals that I am most proud of that I have ever made are not the big spreads for gatherings and occasions and holidays, but it's like, it's Tuesday, the fridge is bare. I don't have much in the pantry. And then I turn out magically some meal that everyone thinks this is so good. And you just, I feel, I feel powerful in that moment. Exactly. I feel powerful. And this is what I want to show everyone. Yes. Yes. This is it. Yeah. There's something so scrappy and amazing about that. You feel connected with the earth, connected with other human beings or something so beautiful. And, and it's like you said, it is wonderful to follow a recipe's instructions really well and have a great outcome. There's something so exciting about making something and realize you can make it. And I think that's also a step on the journey, but those are the moments for sure. And the thing is, I think everyone thinks like, well, that's so unattainable. That's so hard. And it's like, you would be surprised at how much when you learn a few basic things how much you can do and how much you can have those moments where you think there's nothing here, but you are able to make something out of it. And you can, uh, you can learn that quite quickly. And the reality is we're generally pretty satisfied with simple foods, you know, like it doesn't have to be this well, like some broccoli and like with some garlic and olives that you really like, like those flavors come together, throw some leftover sauce on it, have some leftover rice, blammo, you've got something that's actually good if you can allow yourself to see it. Because I think that's the other thing. We also have all these judgments in our heads. We're thinking, would the chef who wrote this recipe be happy with what I made? Would that friend of mine who has good taste think this is cool? Who cares about any of that? They're not in your body. That's the the only person who matters is actually you. And there's like this wonderful freedom in that when you can rest into it. Also, I love the the sort of surprise and delight of like, Oh, these things do actually go together. Um, when you find like a new combination or something new that your family loves. And it's interesting. I starting this conversation asking about your earliest childhood memory of cooking and me sharing mine and the metaphors that always come to mind when I think about cooking in this way are always about, childhood activities or things that we learned to do in childhood, like riding a bike or learning to color and how you have the training wheels and, or you have the lines on a, in a coloring book, and then you learn to color inside those lines. And then you take away the lines and you start to create on your own. And 
I think it's the same. It's there's, we have to start with recipes. You have to start with understanding um, sort of the fundamentals of cooking, which are really quite simple. But once you follow it to the T one time, you realize, oh, like I don't have onion, but I do have a scallion. Okay. So that's going to work. Like, well, I don't have black beans, but I do have kidney beans. Well, that'll work, you know, or I don't have a green pepper, but I do have a can of diced, um, diced green chilies. Like you start to see these, these things once you understand how, and honestly, that's why we have, that's why we have the capsule kitchen because you can just pull, even if you have like six or eight things, I mean, there's hundreds of things, but even six or eight or 10, of these things in your repertoire that you feel like you've really kind of got them down. And then from that, you can, you can begin to play a little bit. That's when you're going to start taking off the training wheels and coloring outside the lines. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we do all have to have that base of understanding how things go together so that we can have success at whatever we're doing. I mean, it is important. It's not to say, Oh, just like go in and mix anything together and it's fine because Well, I always say, you know, that's part of the process of embodied cooking is we let go of the outcome. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be at the end of this, we're going to have something edible and nothing. And it's also okay to have a bad meal. Sometimes that's actually really an important part of the learning process. Like we were talking about trying new flavors and how wonderful it feels when you get something, but it's also okay to try a new flavor and be like, Nope, that's not for me. There's something <laughs> kind of fun about that too. You're like, yeah. like I mean, my daughter, she's five. She's going to be six soon. But she so frequently wants to try some new things. And it's fun and funny to try things that yeah. end up being kind of gross. Like, it's fun. Yeah. Um, this is also okay. Um, but at the same time, when we are making um, a meals for people, we don't want to end up with something that's like completely inedible. Inedible, so, totally. Of course, we have to have these basics. Um, but the basics are very quick and simple to learn. And I truly mean that. I think, you know, I've heard from so many people who are just like, no, but you don't understand how hopeless I am. And it's like, you're no, never hopeless. Like people are just so funny about that kind of thing. You're not special. You're not especially hopeless. Yeah. You're just normal hopeless. No. And we're going to get you there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what do you think the sort of like the principles of intuitive cooking are, or like, what are like the, the basics that you're teaching people? Um, is it, well, so it's an, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I wonder if there's, you talked about, um, breathing techniques or you talk about, um, you know, finding certain recipes that work for you like what what are the beginning steps of like becoming an intuitive cook like what are the principles that that you're teaching folks so I am still in the process really of codifying it I Mm. I would really like to have maybe like a six-week sort of course that I'm really creating where it is really specific and takes you on this road but for now what I do is we we start with a breathing exercise to really bring ourselves into the moment. Mm. And then we allow ourselves to take time. That's the other thing. It's sort of a longer process. And it's not to say that it always has to be, but it's like when we're doing this practice, it's like it's practice time. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to rush through because it's really important that we notice everything. So it's all about the breath that brings us into our Mm. awareness of what we're doing. And then 
maybe we need to chop some things to begin. And so all we're going to do is chop the thing. Yeah. We're going to notice as much as we can about that. Like I'm chopping this yellow pepper. I'm noticing the color. I'm noticing the way that the pepper juice is getting on my fingertips and the way that that feels and the way it's getting slippery with the knife. And then I'm maybe having to adjust my grip and like all of these little things that are actually happening right now. Mm-hmm. And so we focus all of our attention onto that and go through the motions and then, and we taste and we allow our senses to be delighted. We allow it to come up. And then much like in a meditation, you know, our thoughts will go to other things. We'll go like, oh, maybe I should hurry. And then we can come back to and go like, oh, why am I feeling like I need to hurry? Do I need to hurry? Or we can uh, move on to the next step and, allow, you know, let the, say you're making a stew and it's like, okay, now it's bubbling. Maybe we find something to do, but maybe we actually just hang out there and enjoy the bubbling for a moment. And if that feels like impossible and boring, it's like, hmm, interesting. Why is that impossible and boring? And so it's really this process of being there and being mindful and then noticing that actually almost all the time our body does know what to do. Like something that a lot of people, a lot of people who don't cook sort of go salt to taste. What the heck does that mean? Mm. It means it completely literal. It means yeah. taste it, your body will, your body, not your mind, your body will tell you if it, it has enough salt in it or not. Yeah. Your body will also tell you more than that. It will tell you if you need to add, you know, some lemon to something, it will tell you everything you need to know if you learn how to listen. And so really this whole process is about getting quiet enough in our senses and everything to learn to reconnect to that voice that actually tells us exactly what is needed in the recipe. And part of it is yes, experience, but we've all been eating, you know, this is mostly adults we're talking about. We've all been eating our whole lives and a two-year-old will be able to taste something and tell you if it's not salty enough because it's a natural thing that we're born with Um, all of this. So it's really about reconnecting ourselves to that inner voice that actually does know exactly how to feed Maybe not everyone in the world, like maybe not a whole restaurant, but knows how to feed your unique body. Yeah. And your unique pot of people. Exactly. And so it's about that experience and reconnecting and then being soothed and enjoying, like learning to actually, oh my gosh, if I stop, I actually notice I feel good doing this. And when we feel good doing something, what happens, we want to do it again and again. So if we can have yeah. the experience in our body, an embodied experience of feeling, oh my gosh, I feel calm. I feel good. I feel all those things when I'm cooking, regardless of what happens, regardless of the eating process, regardless regardless of the presentation process, during the cooking, I can feel good. That will keep us coming back because your body will remember this is something that is pleasurable, that is pleasant, that makes me feel connected, that makes me feel human. That actually, in my experience, makes me feel divine, like this incredible divine yes. instrument that is like glorious. And when you feel that way, you want to come back to it again and again. And then you can reap all the benefits of that in ways that are really beyond my ability to express and have completely different blueprint in everybody's life. Yeah. I love that. Um, do you, uh, practically speaking, do you, like maybe we can kind of compare notes, but what are the dishes that you feel like most lend themselves to intuitive cooking? If someone's like, all right, uh, our embodied cooking, like I'm, I'm ready to give it a try. 
what kind of dishes are most, I guess in this case, like sort of most forgiving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what's, so I think soups and stews are a really great place to start. Um, But I usually would just like to talk to the individual because I think it depends on the person. Everyone has their experience. And some people are like, oh my gosh, I've never been able to cook eggs. I had this wonderful experience with a friend of mine who was always like, I'm so scared of eggs. And I was like, okay, we're going to get into eggs. <laughs> and suddenly she realized, yeah. like, oh my God, these are the most like forgiving and simple things there are. And we played and we discovered all these. Um, I think part of it is, yes, is just playing, but definitely soups and stews are great. And they all start with the same stuff, right? It's like, get an onion, get some garlic, get some other. And yeah. then it's like, oh, you want to do carrot and celery? Go for it. Oh, you want to do pepper? Oh, you want to like throw anything else that you have in your crisper that doesn't look so great? Go for it. And yes. even, and then as we're going and then we're adding some liquid and we are making a choice about how much liquid and you can go like, oh, I can make it soupier just by adding more liquid or let, or more of a stew by adding less. And you see how things begin to thicken. I mean, there's just so much sort of learning that can happen and uh, such simple choices that you can make that can really change it. And I know there's when I have um, this wonderful client that I've been teaching, she's basically thought she can't cook her whole life. She's so anxious about it. And we've only been working together for, I think, eight weeks or so now. And she suddenly, you know, started from really not being able to cook to now she's telling me, she's like, I'm on Instagram and now I'm watching these people make it. I know exactly what they're doing. And I'm like, I know already, right? It's actually the same repetitive thing. Yes. Yeah. What was this mysterious process is now something that has opened up and that you can open up to that process so quickly. Um, yeah. Just from a few dishes. Uh, but I do think it, there's almost something cool about doing like do three dishes and they all start with onion and garlic and just notice like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. I'm sure it's the same for you as well, but you know, having two kids and particularly my eight year old son, they both love to be in the kitchen with me. They both want to help and they both want to cook. And my eight year old is to the point now where like, I really will let him play a little bit in the kitchen. Awesome. And, but watching him even turn on the burner, like the way that like with the same movement that I do it or the way that he pours oil in the pan, the same way that I do it. Like I think, you know, mm. modeling this <clears throat> to our children, to our loved ones, to our friends who don't know how to cook or to our family members that feel like they don't know how it's just watching people do it. It just becomes, it, be, it, it becomes something that you just soak up. Yes. I love, thank you for saying that. I think, I think that's so incredibly important, the modeling And I think that's so much of, in a way, when I teach, that is what I try to do is modeling this calm presence, this slowness, this enjoyment, like talking, like trying to express the joy that I get out of these simple things. And yeah, I notice it with my daughter as well. I mean, she, you know, it's always been really her idea. Like, let's try this. Let's try that. And I was sort of like, gosh, she's so adventurous with this. That's so interesting. And then I was like, oh, it's because I do that. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's really like that true thing about parenting. Like you can't give actually really give your child any experience that you don't give yourself. Um, and so when we model something, they begin to do that exact thing. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, it really teaches you a lot about yourself. Um, and 
that's the other reason to work on. I mean, I find that so motivating. Like I want everything for my daughter. I want everything for myself, but I really want everything for her. And so for me to embody these things that will give her um, so much more. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We could have a whole other separate podcast on kids and food and cooking for children (sighs) and Teaching. It's so much connection that happens in the kitchen. I mean, it's really incredible the the way that we can come together. So it's like there can be bickering and frustration and controlling and that back and forth yep. sort of power struggle is happening. And then you cook something or you make, you like, I think for me, it always starts with like, I let go. I go, okay, well, this is just what we're doing. And then we drop in and we do it together. And suddenly like we're so connected and we're so yeah. like, yeah, just here and everything yeah. is good. And that's, that's just the magic. And I think that's the beauty of being a parent, but that's like also just all relationships, right? It's like, we're always, we fight when we don't feel connected with the other person. Yeah. My, my son brought home his Valentine, which I opened up his backpack this morning and found it to me and my husband. And it was like, I love you to the moon and back for all these things. You know, we do so much fun stuff together and you help me when I'm hurt. And then the last thing was like, I love you because you make me eggs on toast in the morning. And I really need that to wake me up. (laughs) Yeah. It's like these, but you know, that's something that he likes to make himself, but I often make for him most days. But these food, as you like, to your point, like these food experiences, these connections through food, these touchstones and, you know, the, the days of our lives are just so, are so important, but not just in the way. Cause I think I like how you really focus on the self. Like I think so much of the conversation around mm-hmm. nourishing people with food is like doing it for other people. Yes. And, um, I don't know if you ever read this book. I've, I read it 10 years ago. I think about it most days called nourishing wisdom mm-hmm. by, mm-hmm. um, Mark David is his name, I believe. And he tells this story about a woman um, who had kind of like a fast paced, crazy kind of corporate type life. And she was so unhealthy and she was so unhappy, so sick. And he, so she decided to quit her job, move to California to some, you know, beachside town. And she was working in a a vegetarian cafe, I think. And part of the deal is she had to eat all her meals there. And she was eating all her meals there. And she was like, Oh, come on. I'm like in the sun and I'm eating all this great food you know, that's healthy and nourishing. Why don't I feel better? Why don't I feel better? And so Mm. the author said to her, your homework this week is to cook yourself three meals, cook yourself, not just eat healthy food, but cook yourself three meals. Um, Yeah. Yourself. Yourself, not just eat the food, like actually take the practice of cooking for yourself. And of course she was, she was healed. And, um, I don't know that that would be the same story for everyone. That was her unique story, but I think it makes the larger point different for everyone. But yeah, but there are so many people like her. I mean, I think that's there's just in this world we just need. We're all struggling. So many of us can relate to that story, right? Like we think we're doing this is what we're supposed to be doing, and then you're just more sick and more miserable than you've ever been, even though you've achieved all these things, and there are so many ways in which we can care for ourselves, And mm-hmm. 
I think we just need more of them. And I believe that embodied cooking, cooking truly from the inside mm-hmm. honor, there's something that it's, Oh, I'm going to like cry and say, it's like <laughs> you're honoring your unique self, your body, who you really are every time you do that. And I think that is so, it cannot be overstated how healing and important that is. And there's so many ways to do that, but cooking really is, I think an underappreciated one and one that is so accessible, you know, yes. you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to buy anything. This is something that is a part of our lives. And if you can also make it this powerful instrument to honor your unique self and boy and support yourself in your unique life, I mean, yeah, you're flying. And that's, and that was the best part about good and cheap is that this is something that you can do for $4 a day. And anyone who's listening, living that DoorDash seamless life knows that it is not cost prohibitive to be a home cook. In fact, you're going to be saving so much money as well. Um, and that this is something financially that is available to most every single person in the United States, you know, the ability to cook um, for, 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 not, for not that much money and certainly cheaper than what you would get at a restaurant. That's right. Well, and the, I mean, Good and Cheap was designed for a food stamp snap budget. So for absolutely everybody, regardless, even if you are going through a difficult time and you need to access, um, food stamps, like this is something then cooking really is your best friend. Yeah. Um, And it's not, and I think again, it can feel like, Oh my gosh, no, I have to cook. And it's like, I understand that feeling, but I just, all I can say is I really encourage you to move through it and to notice that it can be like such a blessing in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any final pearls of wisdom for our, for our folks? (laughs) I guess I would just say that if you recognize yourself at all in, if you ever find yourself saying mean things about yourself around food and cooking, like, Oh my gosh, like I'm so bad at feeding my kid or my kids hate my food or I'm a bad cook or noticing maybe in your body that you feel huge amounts of anxiety when you even think about cooking or, you know, the fear of like, you think about, Oh my gosh, supper, I have to deal with yeah. that again. <laughs> oh, can we just get pizza? Is it a, like, and not as a, just, Oh, that's a nice thing, but really as something that dominates your thoughts, just know that there's so many people that experience the same thing and it's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you, but also know that, embracing cooking, not running from it could be Mm. a real, it could be a game changer for you. And I hope that, you know, I would love it if we work together, um, but just try making something simple without all the rules, without the expectations and do it for yourself Yeah, and see how that actually makes you feel and just start there and have a little, I don't know, have a little faith in yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Trust the process. Oh, this has been such a beautiful conversation. I could talk to you for an hour more, maybe even longer about (laughs) all this. Um, just because I feel like it's so, it's so important. Like this is the building block 
of really so much of life. And certainly from my perspective of planetarian life, um, empowering people to tackle their climate anxiety, you know, starting one place we can start is in the kitchen, um, by, you know, learning how to cook plant forward, plant rich. But if, if you're not ready to cook, if you don't know how to cook, you don't want to cook. Um, it's hard to get, it's hard to get started. Um, I wish everybody could have a lesson with you. It's hard to conquer fears. Like it is. Yes. I mean, I just want to take everyone by the hand and just show them. You just walk through this door. It's like beautiful golden light on the other side. I swear. Oh, but it's so hard to walk across that threshold sometimes. I know (laughs) it is. It is. But I, I, you know, I try to put myself in other people's shoes sometimes, like something that I know nothing about or that I'm not proficient in or that I feel very nervous about approaching. I'm like, I have to put myself in their shoes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you have a moment, we'd be so grateful if you'd rate the podcast and leave a review. Also take a minute to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Planetarian Life. Head to planetarianlife.com for more recipes, inspiration, and to become a planetarian. See you next week.